We all run into certain times in our life that force us, whether we like it or not, into different situations. And those, I, call, those are, I think, are, are properly called crisis points. Crisis points create decision points. That's what we're going to talk about today. The crisis points in our life and how they create decision points. Because I can't make a decision, more than likely, that's of much significance unless I have some type of crisis first. You have to think through that a little bit, but we'll, we'll get to that. But some, some, sometimes these things that cause us these crisis points come totally unexpected. We're not ready for them, like an accident or a sickness or a death in the family or something that was just comes totally un, unexpected. Other times they kind of come slowly creeping in, like the economy getting bad and maybe losing a job or... Um, I have different things that kind of come based upon circumstances out of our control um, or just old age. <laughs> just getting older creates crisis points. Did you, have you ever worked hard one day only to get up the next morning and find it's not so easy getting out of bed? That's a crisis point. <laughs> and those things come, and, and, and they're just, it's just there. So it really doesn't make any difference or it doesn't matter what the cause is or the speed of which it comes but we are forced many times in the crisis points in our life that cause us, force us to make a decision. You know, water is a good example of that. Here I have a little bottle of water here. It has two crisis points in its existence that make a big difference to water. One is 32 degrees Fahrenheit and the other is 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Because when water reaches 32 degrees, it's a crisis because it changed its form. It goes from liquid to ice or a solid. When it hits 212 degrees, it goes from liquid to vapor. Now here's the point. At 34 degrees, it's just cold water. At 210 degrees, it's just hot water. But until it gets to 32 degrees or 212 degrees, the crisis hasn't happened yet. It's just hot or cold, but it's, not, but it's still in, in its same state. Liquid, hot, or liquid, cold water. At 32 degrees, it starts to crystallize. And how quickly it can change. Look at Lake Charlevoix. It's amazing. It'll be cold all through January, February. And all of a sudden, you wake up one morning, and there's a skim of ice across the top of it. And within days, it's ice. But up to that point, it's just been really cold water. Same thing with boiling water. Water at 210 degrees, you've just wasted a lot of energy to get it there if you're trying to make steam. Steam is very productive because steam makes pressure. And pressure turns turbines. And turbines makes electricity. But if I don't get it to 212 degrees, it's not going to do anything besides just be hot water. Do you see how that can apply to your life, maybe? There's a couple major crises in life, too called conception and death. The moment of conception, the moment, and this is science and this is not bad to say, but the moment the sperm meets the egg, I'm embarrassed, the moment the, the, the sperm meets the egg, it's called conception, and at that point in time, life is created. At that point in time, an eternal spirit, an eternal life is created right then and there with that first meeting. It didn't have to become Six months old. 
It doesn't have to be out of the womb. It's a life. With physical attributes, it's already named. God already has a plan. He had a plan before that ever happened, by the way. The next major crisis calls death, meaning that, that moment we take our last breath, where we change state again. We go now from a physical being into a spiritual being with one breath. That's another major state of life. Now, like water, life has a lot of mini crises throughout its lifespan. Like we said last week, we are living in the middle. And one, one, a positive assurance is that the end is always longer than the middle. That's really good news, by the way, because our middle isn't going to last forever, but our end is. Okay, when I take that last breath, I go from physical to spirit. I am living forever in the spirit world where I have no more physical issues. And I'm looking forward to that day, are you? I'm looking forward to that day. Salvation is one of another very, very important crisis in our life. See, we have the big ones, life and death. But in the middle, we have a lot of other things that have to happen in our life. Salvation is one of the most, is not one of, <laughs> salvation is the most midlife crisis that has to happen for you. If you don't have that salvation experience, then you have no life. You are already dead. You're already dead. You're dead spiritually. And with your, if you're dead spiritually, you have no hope. You have nothing to look forward to if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. And the world just doesn't get that. They just don't get it. And there's other important points. Basically, they're more relationship points along life. You know, one thing that I think is so important for young people and we've been fortunate in Chris and I in our life in our growing up, bringing our kids up through the basically to when they were babies all the way through their toddler, all the way through their teen years, is that we've given our kids an opportunity to have experiential relationship crisis points with Christ. They've been at the altars and they've had those experiences, relationship building experiences where they know that God exists. They've been taught. They've been through Sunday school. They've been through the teaching. Mentally they have it. But what's important for them is the experience to know that when God touches them, they can't explain that. You cannot explain when God gets a hold of your heart and you as a grown man start to weep before God. You can't explain that because that's not natural. And I'm not saying that every man has to weep like a baby. Some of us do more than others, and that's just our personality, and that's okay. But you know what? When that happens, it's not natural. That's a God thing. That's an experiential relationship thing, and that's why it's so important for young people, I believe, to get it when they're young. That way, when they get older, they will never question that. You can question lots of things in life, but when it happens to you, you don't question it anymore. When it happens to your parents, you question it because that's for old people. Or that's for them. But when it happens to me, it's very real. It's very personal. And I will never question it. That's why having relationship experiences are so important. We've talked a lot in the past few weeks about tests. We talked last week about the 40 years the Israelites spent on their journey in the desert. 
and that how God allowed them to go through the tests in that time to basically humble them and to test them in order to know what was in their heart or that we would know, more importantly, what's in our heart. God already knows. So this isn't for God's benefit, but it's for my benefit. Those tests are for my benefit, whether or not I will keep his commands like we were instructed today. If I want the blessings of God, I have to be obedient. There's no other way to say it. And the only way I know I'm going to be obedient is if I pass some of these tests that God gives me, some of these crisis points in my life. And we have to understand that. And we have to go through those tests. And we have to, have, and we have to recognize that, that there are many points, and they're designed to be there. We're not supposed to run from of them. And quite honestly, we're not supposed to look for them. They will find us. You don't have to go through. If your life's going really smooth right now, don't worry about it. I mean, enjoy it. Don't look for the crisis points because they're going to come to you. Eventually, they're going to catch up to you and you're going to have one or a few. And that's okay. Don't run for them. I recently read a devotional that talks um, about the Christian life and how that we should expect adversity in our life. And it goes on to say that a Christian shouldn't look for ways to avoid or circumvent the difficulty because when we recognize that we are in a position that is beyond our ability to get out of, that's where God wants us to be so that we have a dependency on him and for his deliverance to show his power and for his glory. It's all about God's glory. In case you don't know it already, we live to bring God glory. There is one thing God can't do. And that's praise himself. That's why we're created. We are created to bring God praise and to bring him glory. And as we live our life, that is our intention. That is what we're here for, is to bring God glory. See, the easy life that we so often want, and most of the time have, the easy life masks, can I say that word right? Mask. It covers over. It blinds us. It gives us a delusional dependence on ourself. It masks our need for Christ. And it makes us spiritually lazy. The good life, we all want it. But when I get it, can I handle it? Can you handle it? And still live for Christ. And still be on fire for Christ. And still be vibrant for Him. And still be a leader for Christ. Because remember, the end lasts longer than the middle. So if you're just happy, if you're contented with the easy life, and you're going to just live your life through that, remember, as it was already said today by Bert, it's going to pass. It's going to, it's going to burn. So if you're just concerned about the easy life, the middle road, making the bigger house I can have, and living in the, the best house, and having the best car, and having a big bank account, and, and all those things, and they're all good. But if that's all your focus is, it's going to burn. So you have to have the crisis points sometime in the middle of that good life. And that's God putting them there to say, where are you thinking, people? What is your goal? What do you want? And if you're looking for the easy life, guess what? I'm going to stir it up a little bit for you because I want you, I love you enough that I'm going to stir it up and I'm going to make you think about it. And then I'm going to give you a decision point with that crisis. Are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to depend on me or not? Or are you going to go depend upon what's in your checking account? You have to make a decision. That's what crisis points are. 
See, we have a way to figure it out. The Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 2, it says, To man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. And all a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And then go back, go on, skip down to verse 9. It says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. See, we have our ways of dealing with our issues. Where does God fit into those? Where does God fit in my life? Can I really think, can you really think that you can understand God? Can you grasp and fathom God? Do you think you can? Well, let me tell you, if you think you can, you can't. You just can't. And it says so in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job 11, 7 through 8 says, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? <laughs> they are deeper than the depths of the grave. What can you know? Then Job 37.5 says, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. And Ecclesiastes 11-5. Somebody else say it. Thank you. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. We just cannot understand God. Can't do it. So why get frustrated over that? Why get frustrated over that? So if we can't understand God, then what is our relationship supposed to be with him? If we can't understand him, then how are we supposed to relate to him? How, how, are, how do we live? If God is so much above us, if his thoughts are not our thoughts, if, he, if he's so high above us, how in the world can we relate to him? First of all, we must understand that we don't have to understand everything about God in order to love him or, order, or in order to have faith in him or order, in order to have trust in him. All we have to really understand is one thing about God. And that's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And it says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So I don't have to worry about all the other things about God I don't understand. I just have to understand God is love. God just doesn't experience or just doesn't exhibit the attributes of love. The Bible says in many other places as well that we don't have time to go into that God is love. Can you even understand that? God just doesn't show love. He doesn't exhibit love. He doesn't give love. God is He's is. That's what he is. God is love. And then if God is love, then I can read 
this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, which is the love chapter, the way the verse reads, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. If God is love then I can read this verse this way. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy and does not boast. God is not proud. God is not rude. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. And if we go back and read that text before in 1 John, Verse 16, or 4 and 16, it says that if so, we know and rely on the love of God, that whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So now, if I live in God, God lives in me, then I can read that same verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I can say that I am patient, I am kind, I do not envy, I do not boast, I am not proud, I am not rude, I am not self-seeking, and so forth, because God is in me and God is love. So now when I read all that and I put all that together and then I go back and I look at my life and I look at these crisis points that come in my life, I say, God, where are you in my crisis points? And God says, I am love. <laughs> I love you so much that I'm allowing you to go through a crisis point because I want you to come to me. I don't want you to go through life, the easy life, masked with all the easy lists of life and so that you don't look at me. No, I want you. I am love, and therefore I am going to allow these things to happen to you in a loving way to get your attention, to draw you unto me. If God is love, understand that love is not going to hurt you. He is never going to hurt you with these things that come your way. But he's going to draw you. He's going to challenge you. Knowing that God loves me, I know that he won't tempt me or test me beyond what I can bear. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verses 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. And I think, I think we can say tested. Tempted and tested. Beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or tested, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. See, God is not out to hurt me. God is not allowing these things to come into my life to hurt me and to, and to knock me down. What he's trying to say is, I want your attention. I want your attention. Will you give it to me? Will you please give me your attention? That's what he's saying. So when we give God our attention, all of a sudden now he can work with us. There's three main areas that I see that we need to develop in this area. They are faith, trust and hope, which are one, and then submission. Let's talk about faith for a minute. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then in verse 6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So one of the first things we need to do is understand the importance of faith. And that it's impossible to please God unless we have faith in him. So we need to understand that. And we need to understand that it's so important that 
we have to experience that. Now, faith is something kind of hard to, uh, hard to understand, too, because it's believing in something we don't see. I'm an electrical engineer, and I went to school at Michigan Tech, and I studied electricity. And, I, and I'll, quite honestly, I hated every bit of it. <laughs> Because I'm not an electrical engineer. I mean, I got the degree, but I'm not. It's one of those things where, because I could, I did, but I really didn't want to. I probably should have been a preacher. But I didn't want to do that either at the time. But anyway, um, but in, what I learned from studying electricity, in fact, what happened is, I would look at the mechanical engineers, and I would say, you guys got it easy. Because if I'm going to be a mechanical engineer, and I'm going to study the, a, a fulcrum point, I can see it. I, I can see if I want to understand how much pressure it takes to open that door, how much kinetic energy is there, and how much potential energy I have to apply to it, and, and what the angle is to do that. I mean, I can visualize that and I can see that. And I can mentally understand that a lot better than when I study Ohm's Law or a capacitor. And I can't see the electricity. I can't see it, but I can feel it. Right, Rod? Yeah, Rod's felt electricity. Did you see it coming? No. No, that's the thing about electricity is you can't see it. But I have faith that it's there. Every time I go to a light switch, I plug in a, a, into that receptacle, I have faith that it's going to operate for me. I can't see it, but I have faith in it. I know it's there. God is no different. I just don't maybe think of him that way. Because he's something that maybe I haven't developed a close enough relationship with. It's not that he doesn't want to be that way. It's not that he doesn't want to be that vibrant in our life to know that we can call on him at any moment in time. It's not because he's not there. It's just because I'm not there. It's because I'm not there. It's because I'm not living my life on a daily basis. It's because I'm not plugging into him on a regular basis. It's because I'm not reaching out to him, but he's there, just like that electricity is at that outlet right there. It's right there. If I stick my fingers in there, little kids, are, they're in the nursery, right? If I stick my fingers in there, I'm going to get zapped. It's there. I just have to get close enough to it. I have to stick something in it. God's the same way. He's there. I just have to stick something in it. <laughs> I just have to reach up to him and say, God, I'm here. I'm ready. I need you. And he'll be there in that moment of crisis in my life. So now faith is the absolute beginning point of, of understanding that. Now let's go to trust and hope. There are many, many references in the Bible that tell us to trust in God and to put all our confidence in him and in him alone. And here's what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to pick and choose when we do. We're supposed to put our faith in God all the time, for all situations, for all circumstances, not just when it feels good to me to do. John 14:1 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And then he goes on to explain heaven. He goes on to explain that he's going to prepare a place for us. What a great time. That's that other crisis point called death, that we're not there yet, okay? But that's our hope, that's our promise. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust and hope come naturally as we begin to have our faith in that relationship with Christ. 
See, God doesn't love us conditionally. He loves us unconditionally. Therefore, our trust in him needs to be unconditional as well. I can't choose and pick the times I'm going to trust. Well, I can, but it's of no value. If I say, I'm only going to trust you, God, when things are good, well, what's the point of that? No, if it's going to be effective for me, I need to trust God when things are bad. When I'm going through that crisis point that I don't understand, that's when I need to have as much faith or more faith in God because that's when it's really going to mean something for me. It's when it's going to mean for, for me the value of that trust. So it's not just a matter, a matter of picking and choosing what I want. We need to maintain that level set that I trust God because He loves me. And I already talked about love and how important that is and, and knowing that love is above and beyond all, and he won't allow anything to happen to me that would cause me pain that would be to my demise. He will, he, will allow, he will allow certain things to come to me that will get my attention, but not to hurt me. So once I understand that, now let's move into submission, because this is where it all happens. And when I can submit to God, now I'm in a position where God can move in my life. Remember, he's not, he's not a God that has a long arm that's going to grab you by the nap of the neck and pull you. He's going to say, I will lead you if you submit to me. Job 22.21 says, Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. You know, submitting to God is probably one of the most difficult things we as humans can do. We say it easy enough. We say, I give God my problems. We say, I give God my concerns. But do you really? Do I really? If I was to come down and give something to God, can I really leave it with Him? Or when it starts to go south, do I kind of go back there and say, God, I better take over. You're kind of, you're kind of letting it happen. It's not, it's not right, God. God, you're, you're losing it. L let me have it back. I'll take care of it. I'll make it better. Oh, come on. Where are you? Have you ever done that? You're pretty quiet. I've done it. And if I've done it, I'd probably say you've done it. Because there is nothing that's not common to man. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. So if I've done it, I know you've done it. But that's not right. Submitting to God means I need to trust God's will over my will. And I need to realize that as God has a better, more long-lasting viewpoint of my life, that he will take care of me. So, when that, so if that's true, then why is it so hard for me to submit things to God? Why is it so hard that I would not trust him with that? Being submissive is the key to all Christianity because the, matter, the fact of the matter is if you don't acknowledge Christ today as Lord of all, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if you don't acknowledge him today, someday you will. Someday you will. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if I am going to do that at some point in time in my life, why don't I just do it now? If it's going to happen eventually, then why don't I just do it now? 
when it makes a difference to me. Because if you wait to the last time where you will have the opportunity, uh, really not an opportunity, where you'll be forced to your knees. Because he will force you to your knees. And he'll say, who's the king? Who's your daddy now, baby? (laughs) Who's the king? And he'll say, you tell me who the king is. At that point in time, it's too late for you because you've already, you're, you're already damned to hell. That's just, now it's just proof of the pudding. So if you're going to do that at some point in time, young person, listen to me. If you're going to do that at some point in time, do it now. Middle-aged parent, dad, grandma, grandpa, if you're going to submit to God, do it now while it makes a benefit to you. Otherwise, it's a waste of time and you're going to go through life struggling in everything you do. Not to say that life's going to be rosy if you're a Christian. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that your promise, you'll have a promise of heaven and you'll have a promise of eternal life and you'll have a promise of living with God forever and peace and joy forever and ever and ever if you submit to me now. I don't get it. Life is too simple and life is too short. This is too, too, this is too simple of a message to ignore it. As we begin to close, it's important to know that non-spiritual people don't have any idea what I'm talking about right now. They just don't get it. It's absolutely nonsense. If you're not a Christian, this is absolutely gibberish. It's like I might as well be speaking in tongues. <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. Because the Spirit of God draws you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11-14, through 14, it says, For who... Among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who was from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. Here's the key. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So as we conclude this morning, the whole point of this sermon is that when we consider all the crisis points in our lives, it doesn't make any difference what we think about them. God is not asking my opinion. He's not saying, Mike, what should I do here? I'm kind of lost. I kind of need some help. (laughs) God's not saying that. God doesn't need my help. What he needs is my faith, my trust, my submission. And when I, when I give him those three things, then it will go well with me in the end. Does that mean it's going to take all my struggles? No. Does that mean I'm still going to have to face hard times? Yeah. But when I give him my faith and my trust and my submission, I know then that God will take care of me because he is love. <laughs> because He is love, because He just doesn't show love, because He is love. And love is, love is not going to hurt me. So now I can trust God with everything I have. I can give Him everything in my life. And I can trust Him with it. And I can know that He's not going to turn around and beat me over the head with it. And He's not going to hold it against me. If I've done some things wrong, it's okay. He'll forgive me. That's what grace is all about. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why we're not living under Old Testament law anymore. We're living under grace. And grace says, I will forgive you because I took care of it at the cross 2,000 years ago. But you have to pick it up. 
You have to pick up the cross and follow me. You have to come down. You have to plug into the source. He's not going to grab you by the neck. He may grab you by the heart. And he may tug at your heartstrings and he say, this is for you. If you'd close your eyes with me. He may grab your heart. And he may say, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I want you. I love you. Young person, I love you. Mom, dad, I love you. Grandparent, I love you. I, I, I love you so much. I love you so much that I'm allowing this to happen in your life to get your attention. I'm asking, I love you so much that I'm allowing this to happen to you to grab your heart because I don't want to lose you. So as we listen to the voice of the Lord today, the Holy Spirit then churns up in our spirit a little bit of a knot in our stomach, a little bit of, a little bit of, a little bit of tension, a little bit of a crisis point. And he says, I'm going to ask you for a decision today. I'm going to ask you for a decision today. Will you accept me? Will you accept me as Lord and Savior of your life? I love you. The enemy is coming to say it's a mean God. The enemy is coming to say ignore that voice. Ignore that. Ignore that. I'm going to, you're going to be made a fool of. You're going to be embarrassed. That's what the enemy is saying. But Jesus is saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Will you please come? I'm creating a crisis point right now. And I'm asking you to make a decision. If you can make a decision for Christ today, if you've made that decision for Christ today, if at some point in time you've had that crisis point and you've made that decision, would you raise your hand and show me and show God that you've made that point at some time in your life? Raise your hand with me, those that have made that decision point. And if you can't raise your hand, if you can't raise your hand, do you want to? Now is the time. All eyes are closed. Every head bowed, please. If you weren't able to raise your hand, would you? Would you accept that crisis point in your life as a decision point for Christ today? If you would, just raise your hand, put it down. Listen, this is the most important question you have to answer. This is the most important question you need to answer. For those that have already raised your hand, be praying. Be praying for those that are questioning right now, should they? If you haven't before, or if you have and you need to do it again, this is a crisis point. It's a decision point. Don't be embarrassed. Jesus says, I love you. I'll never hurt you. I see that hand. Jesus sees that hand. That's good. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. Oh, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the crisis points that come along our way. Lord, I, I like the easy life. I really do. I, I really want it. 
But Lord, if it was going to make me spiritually lazy, and if I was losing something, then I'm glad you gave me that crisis. I'm glad that you've woken me up because, Lord, I don't want to give up my end for my middle. I I don't want to risk that, God. The, The end is way, way too long. It's just too long for me to risk it because I want to because I'm embarrassed about something in the middle. So, Lord, I thank you for the crisis points in my life. I pray that you would give me faith, give me strength to get through those crisis points. Lord, get me through them as easily and as quickly as I can, as long as I learn the lessons. I don't like them. I don't want them. But I thank you for them. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would allow us to move with you in faith and hope and trust and submission in Jesus' name. Be with us today as we sing this last song and go to our homes. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.